Isaiah chapter 59. We're, finish, we're finishing up. Well, we're, we're in the middle of Isaiah 59. Let's put it that way. We got to verse 12 last week, so we'll, we'll pick up there. And we're talking about Israel is kind of confessing their sin and admitting their guilt. And so, you know, it, and that's been one of Isaiah's themes is the sin that they had. And so they're going to talk about it a little bit. And, you know, one thing we have to do sometimes is confess our sins. And he says in verses 12 through 14, We'll start there. It says, For our transgressions are multiplied before thee. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart the words of falsehood. Judgment is turned away backwards and justice standeth afar off for the truth is fallen in the street and equality cannot enter so he's talking about if you listen to this is our sins are testified against us you know god's people are are in a better place now than they have been because they kind of realize their sins uh and they have they had a reality check is i guess the best way to see it as they can see what they're doing, you know, they remember the first of the chapter, God was talking about how they, they, they wouldn't see it. They blamed everybody, even blamed God for their sins. And so they, they blamed that God wasn't listening to them. But now here in the middle of the chapter, Isaiah has them that he, they're, they're listening. He says their sins testify against us. And so the, the Hebrew word for against us, the idea is that their past, life, past lives have been so depraved and so bad that they've come up as a witness against them. And so that's kind of what he's talking about. I mean, think about this. How many of you got things in your past you wished you could get away from, but it always seems to come back and haunt you? And just constantly. And so that's what's happening to them. The things they've done wrong, they know them. They says, we know them. So they recognize them and they, they can no longer hide them. And that, we come to a point in our life where that ought to be the way we are, is that we see our sins and we realize that and instead of trying to hide them, try to, to, to say they never happened, you recognize, say, Lord, you know, I, hey, I know I messed up. You know, and, and that's kind of what he, he, he's been hoping for him. And when you look at verse 13, in, in trans, transgressing, it's that they have been guilty. And it's not just that they did it. It was a continuous. Because look how, look how he worded it. He, they, he said, in transgressing, not in our past transgressions, but in the things that we keep doing over and over uh, you know, have, have you ever had a, a, a sin or a problem? Scott, Scott, you turn me down just a little bit. I'm echoing in my head. It's driving me crazy. Er. It's a very short trip, Eric. Thanks. That's a little better. Yeah, I can control it here too. I forgot about that. But have you, have you ever had one a sin that you cannot seem to get away from? One that you continuously go over? That just, no matter what you do, it's just, uh, uh, I've had people say, well, that's part of me. That's just who I am. Uh, there, there's a, a, a guy I know, he has a mouth like a sewer. And he says, I've tried to quit. They don't try very hard. And it, it just continuously, he says, well, I've come to the conclusion that's who I am. Well, he, he, he won't admit that it's a problem. And so they've admitted, they're saying, our past sins that we continuously do, it's been a problem. 
And so they're admitting that they got it, and it's not just, and it's an ongoing problem that they have. So they, they said this, they, listen how they put it. He says, in our transgressions and lying against the Lord. So they, and I thought about this, how do you lie against God? There you go. Or not even to blame him, but he's not even to just denying it. I don't got a problem. I don't have a problem with eating. Well, that's a lie. I don't I have no problem. I see it. I eat it. There's no problem whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that's that that's a very good example of it. Uh, of people, I can stop this whenever I want to, and, and so they've been they were lying to God, and they, or knowing that you're doing something, coming to church, and then pretending that you don't. There's another good one there. So that they were lying against them. they they that you know they they professed to be His people, but in secret. They were worshiping idols. They would come to the temple on the days of sacrifice. They'd come to the temple and worship. They'd bring their their sacrifices. They'd come. They, you know, one thing Jews did on the way to the temple, they would we, they would sing the psalms, and so they would sing the psalms, and they would do all this. And outwardly, if you saw them from a distance, you'd think, "Oh, there's a very holy people." But when they got home, their house was full of idols and things, and they were worshiping them. So they were lying about the things that they were doing. Their hearts were more devoted to their secret gods. And today, what would be secret gods that people's hearts are devoted to? You know, you you, you don't go to somebody's house and they come and says, "Hey, let me show you my 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 worship center here," and they open it up and they got a you know big beautiful statue. What would be something people have as their secret gods? No, that's a very good one. Now, okay, blaming something out of doing that, yeah. Uh, I like the uh, television, money, cars. cars, different things, huh? Going fishing, different things, you know. Uh, and all in all, is there anything wrong with television? Well, okay. Well, yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, there's nothing wrong with television. You can always turn it off. Yeah, you can always turn it off. Uh, here, here would be a good example. It's watching something, and you know it's horrible, but you do what? Keep watching it. Uh, going fishing. There's nothing wrong with going fishing, but when it takes the place of your worship, then you got that that false up. So we have them. It's just not as as parent as it was for the children of Israel. Now notice what the next thing they said. So they they talked about their transgressions, their lying, and then they said departing away from our God. So they knew that everything they were doing was taking them away from God. Outwardly, they were, it would be like this, sitting in church on Sunday, but truth and reality, you're not really here. And so that's the picture they have here. And, and so they're, they're, they're saying these things. And, so we, and notice how they, they put it, departing away from who? Our God. They admitted he was the one that should be most important in their life, but he wasn't. And then they said, speaking oppression and revolt. So they, they, they were basically here, we can see, you know, we've talked about one of the things that the Jewish people were really into was how much money they had. In Isaiah's time, they, it was a golden opportunity time. And it's kind of almost like here in America today, the rich were getting richer but what was happening to everybody else? Yeah. And, and you think about it, if you look at the, the description here, here is perfect for America because the rich get richer. What's happening to the rest of us? It's just, it, we, you know, what's normal things is getting worse out of reach. And so that's what they do. When he says they're speaking of oppression and revolt, you know, 
conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. So they're 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 pick, they're, they're going after the poor people, and, and it's because if you if you remember last week, I think we talked about how they when they were at church when they were worshiping, they were making the poor people go out into the fields and work. They weren't allowing them to have the Sabbath. And so here they, they're, they're finally admitting it. And they're, they're talking about they're conceiving and uttering from the heart. So it, it, it's, these things were what was important to them. It was the, they, had, they knew that their problem was really they worshiped idols, they worshiped gain, and that was what was more important to them. That's what they wanted. And so they had got what they wanted. Now, in verse 14, it says, And judgment is turned backward. So the word judgment here is not used as it was in Isaiah 59.9 to denote the divine uh, avenging and delivering them. This is more used in a sense of justice and or decisions made between man and man. So here, here's the difference. It's not talking about God's judgment. It's talking about theirs. Judgment is turned away backwards. So what they were supposed to be judging and watching out for against each other, they were going backwards at it. Does that not sound like today's headlines? Yeah, and there you go. And, and blaming, you know, instead of uh, treating people fairly, kind of like today in today's society where we'll be tolerant with one another if you believe what I believe. Because you think about that, tolerance today is that. It's not, I'm gonna put up with what you do, we're gonna meet in the middle ground, we're gonna agree to disagree. Do we do that today anymore? It's either you agree like what, what I say, or you're wrong. And that's kind of the picture they're painting here. That's the way things were there. And so, you know, you didn't have that say. And so it was, uh, justice was handed out a lot of times by the, the Pharisees and the scribes and you know how you got out of things? Bribe. Yeah. Give somebody a little extra money there. Exactly. You know, I, I've taught, I've heard so many people who uh, will go to a court and they've the judge and stuff talk to the lawyers and all this, and you know they're going, man, we, we've got this, and, and and he's gonna make the right decision. You get into court, and the judge comes out of nowhere with something way out from left field, and they're like, huh? How can you not see the truth? I mean, you think about it today, criminals walk, and who goes to jail? Innocent people. That's like when OJ was on trial. We don't know if he killed him or not, but we know them cops sure were guilty of everything, wasn't they? And that's the way the world had gotten. And so it's the same way here is what they're doing. Their, their, their justice was all backwards. And it says, you know, the truth was falling on the street. And so you, you couldn't get anything. You know, the truth of falling on the street, I like what one says, or rather perhaps the gate, the place where they gave the justice, you know, and, and you went there, instead of getting justice, you, you got whoever paid the most. Now, when he, he gets to verse 15 and 16, he's going to change tunes again. We're going to see that salvation and redemption, the Lord sees it, so he's going to offer it to him. And listen to what he says. He says, Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto them and his righteousness, it sustained him. So, you know, the, the Lord's bringing salvation to him in his own righteousness because when he's looking at him, he said, you have no idea of how to do it. You can't get it right. So his own arm brought it to him. Now, do you think what what do you think he's talking about here? Is this something that happened right then? Or do you think it's something that was going to happen in the future? Part of it happened in part of the future. 
Exactly. That's another one of those things. They're fixing to go into captivity. He's warning them. This is going to happen. And he's told them. And so that's part of God's justice and judgment. Because you think, consequences for sin. God forgives us of our sin, does he not? If we ask for forgiveness, he says he's just, he loves us, he forgives us. But what happens when you sin? There's consequences from it. I mean, you, you think about it. If we took sin and we thought of it like this, imagine sin would be if you're walking barefoot through the house and you stub your little toe on the corner of a table. Okay? Now, God says you're forgiven, but what still happens? Your toe still hurts. And it's the same way with sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, so something had to die. We know that when Adam and Eve sinned, God did what? He started dying. He started them dying. But something else happened. A lot of times, a lot of people overlook. They were naked, and he clothed them. But you ever realize that? Somebody had to pay the price right then. Sin has a consequence no matter what it is. That consequence is going to happen. If you continuously sin, let's say your sin was alcohol, and, and you, you, you overcome that sin, God forget, has forgiven you. But what happened? Your body's going to pay the price for that sin. I had a, 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 a real dear, wonderful friend of mine, and we're very close in age. One of the big differences was, though, he was a bodybuilder at one time. And as you could tell, I have a disdain for exercise, so that wasn't me. It, I built a bigger body. I just padded it very well. But here was the the thing. He, me, and him talked. He he had been saved and have a, has a wonderful testimony. And what it was is when he was a bodybuilder, he got into doing drugs. He says, and I did them very heavily. Well, he got saved, and he was actually a police officer at one time, and, and he got hurt, it dislocated his shoulder. And when he went to the doctor, the doctor said, the problem is why you look physically fit on the outside, your skeletal system is so degenerated because of the, your past drug abuse. You have a skeletal system of a 90-year-old man. And, and I remember slowly as he started to basically, here he was, he was saved, his life was going right, he had been muscular, he had everything, but his teeth was falling out, he was just de de degenerating, and he says, I know this is because of what I did. God forgave me of the sins, he says, but my body is paying the price for what I did. And so that's the same principle here that God's trying to, to remind them, you know, justice comes. You're forgiven, but there's a price that's going to be paid, you know, uh, no matter what. Because you know, he says, I saw nobody who could do this, so I did this. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness. Now, we know here part of what he's talking about comes later with Jesus. True salvation didn't come until Jesus came. Now, he, God delivered them. We, if we go back and, and we look at the historical part of Isaiah, when that army's camped outside the gate and God destroys the army and the, so the army doesn't invade at that time. He's physically saved them. But true salvation doesn't come until God gets, God sends his son. And, and you, you think about this. Now, I, I want you to look at the next couple of, of, of verses and see if they sound familiar as we look at verse 16. Let, let, or, yeah, well, let's go to verse 17. 
So he's talked about his righteousness that sustained him. Listen to verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation upon his, his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad in the zeal as a cloak. Does that kind of sound familiar? Put on the whole armor of God. In Galatians, exactly. So we, you know, a lot of people, when they study Isaiah, a lot of the, the commentator says a lot of people don't pick up the connection between Isaiah and it's actually Ephesians. But uh, Ephesians, when he says, finally, my brother, be strong and his might put on the power. Because if you look, he talked about here's his salvation. Here's his righteousness. So be strong in his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And he tells us why. Paul tells us why you do it. I mean, let me read this. It's verse 6 through 10 of Ephesians. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand in the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take you on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore with your loins girt about with the truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, Faith, wherefore you shall be able to stand and quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But if you listen to what Paul talks about and you read back in Isaiah the problems they have, when you see that part that you, you put on the whole armor and he says why in verse 12 of Ephesians when he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you look at what they were doing, the problems they had, it's basically giving you here in Isaiah, their issue was idolatry. It was a condition of the heart because they were all into greed and, and, un, and, and unjustice, if whatever that, no justice, what would be that word? Injustice. I knew there was a word for it. Think of it. So injustice, that was what there was. And so if you think about the, the wickedness of high places, the, we don't have the idols that they worship, but we talk about idols that, they, that we have today. We see the same things going on. We see the heart of men. And here Paul was telling us, put on this armor. And God's described the armor back in Isaiah. So there's a big, big togetherness of the two. You know, and so Isaiah here, he, he's, he's telling them why. He says, listen, in verse 18, according to their deeds, according, he will repay fury to his adversary and recompense to his enemies. To the isles, he will pay recompense. So he's saying, you're fixing to go to war. You need to put on this armor. Paul told us why, because we were fighting against the devil. So there's a big contrast between the two. And it's according to their deeds, he said. So the general sentiment, this is the, the verse is plain. Let me, let me share this with you. The sense of this verse of 18 before us is that God would inflict justice, would inflict, excuse me, inflict punishment on his enemies. It is a general sentiment to the deliverance from Babylon as it is for the redemption of the church. So you, you see the same picture. God's going to punish those who are coming against Israel because they put on that whole armor of God. When you put on the whole armor of God, who are we battling? The enemy. Who suffers when a Christian puts on the whole armor of God? Satan does. The devil does. And, and so here, and, and you think about it, God uses us. The same way he was talking about here. I mean, listen to this verse. Listen to, listen to it. According to their deeds, according, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will pay recompense. You think about something. When people come up against the church, sometimes it seems like they win, don't it? But if you look at history, in the long run, who wins? 
God and his people. Now, the, the problem becomes just like Israel. When Israel got away from God, what happened? Bad things. The enemy started. When the church drifts away from the truth of the gospel, what happens to the church? We start falling. We start coming apart. Uh, you know, I, I heard one guy tell, say this. He said, if you ever thought about something, Going through what the church has been through in the last year and everything that's happened. How many of you have ever read the, ter the parable of the tares and the wheat? Which is where the, the enemy went and seeded the, the field with tares and they sprung up. You couldn't tell the difference as they were growing until they reached maturity. And then you saw the tares and the wheat, but you couldn't do what? You couldn't go in and remove the tares until the harvest. Somebody said, you know, now when you look, maybe we're seeing the separation of the tares and the wheat because some people left and never came back. It became easy to do what? To stay out of church. I, And you, you think now? Now we had it the whole time. We had it online. We had different ways you could you could find different ways to to listen to the word, stay the word. I, I listen to I love listening to Adrian Rogers. I, I love and so last night we was listening to him, and he was talking about the biggest thing that people got away from is studying the Bible. People don't read the Bible. I'll give you a good instance, and I, I didn't think about this until last night, Obadiah had his last baseball game. So we're stand, sitting near the dugout, and, and of course, you know, the kids, half of them are they're, they're playing, and then the other half are just out there in left field. Top. And one kid asked, he said, where did your parents get your name? Uh, we looked at it and said, the Bible. They said, huh? It's in the Bible. Are you sure? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that funny, but then I got asked by somebody that goes to church. Where did they come up with the name Obadiah? I said, it's a book in the Bible. Really? Read it every once in a while. And, and so you, you, we don't realize how people are no longer studying God's word and, and, and getting into what it says. So, you know, how could they, 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 they they're not getting, they're not putting on the armor. They're not being prepared. Now, now look what he, he says in verse 19. He says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. When the enemy shall come like a flood and the spirit of the Lord shall lift up the standard against him. So here's this, this wonderful vision of what's going to happen. The end result of God coming and, and rescuing his people is an ultimate victory. And he wants everybody to share it. Because you think there's coming a day when we don't have to worry about this anymore, do we? If the Lord was to come back tonight, think about how great that would be. How many of y'all woke up this morning going, ow, that hurts. Yeah. So I mean, just say the Lord came back. We get a glorified body. Hey, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Amen. You know, uh, if he came back and he took the church home, how great that would be. Now, we, we know it, it, as you read and study the book of Revelation, after the tribulation period comes the thousand year reign. After the thousand year reign, what comes next? Yeah, but we've already, we don't have to worry about that, do we? 
We're already stood before the Lord and, and our sins are paid for. We don't have to worry about that judgment. What comes after that? Satan gets thrown into the fiery pit forever and ever. What about us? We're going to be with God as he intended from the beginning. Yeah, have you ever read what he does? He gets rid of this old world and makes a new one. I mean, and people, you know, uh, there'll be some people upset. There won't be a beach. Because he says there's no more seas. But you ever thought about that? Why? Well, to work. You know, Israel looked at the sea and saw whenever they, they when you listen to the Old Testament and the description of the ocean, even in the New Testament with James being tossed to and fro, the sea was a, an unknown, it was a scary place. And think about this, if you wanted to walk from here to Jerusalem, could you? You know, we got to see it the way. So when all that's gone, there's, there's nothing stopping us. So when you see the description of, of, of Jerusalem, we won't even need the sun anymore. So, I mean, God's got it as it was intended from the beginning. But the whole thing is, those of us that will be there will be there because we chose to be with God. And so no more sin. Can you imagine no more sin? No more problems of being tempted by Satan. No more aches and pain. Living forever with the Lord. And so that, that wonderful promise he makes. And he says everybody, he says, everybody's going to see it. They're going to fear his name from the west, the glory of his rising sun. The enemy shall, shall come like a flood. He says, when God finally gets through, there's going to be people who see the truth and come to him. Now, look at verse 20 and 21. The Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgressions in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, my words which I have put in my mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed for the Lord from henceforth forever and forever. From henceforth and forever. So how many of your Bibles have that word redeemer capitalized? You know, as the Redeemer, this is my covenant. So when you look at, after speaking in a third person through the prophet, here now we see God speaking through the first person. And so he declares his reamer. The word there is the go. And the go sometimes is translated in other parts of the Old Testament as the kinsman redeemer. Here it's simply the Redeemer, so it's the title. It's, the, it's the, the defined role in Israel's family or in our family. Here is the one who has come to bring you out of slavery. And Leviticus 25, 48 describes it. He says, after he that is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. So the only person who could redeem someone who was in slavery was somebody who was kin to them. And you think about this, when you accept Christ in the family, we have that adoptive spirit that we can now cry out, Abba, Father. So we were adopted into the family. He was, he was also responsible to be the avenger of blood. And you, in the Old Testament, if somebody... Uh, committed murder, a family member could become the redeemer. And Numbers 35, 19 says, the revenger of blood himself shall slay the murderer. When he meeteth him, he shall slay him. So the redeemer is that one who got rid of the one who caused the problems. And when Satan finally gets what he's going to get because Christ died on the cross for us, we're covered and protected by his blood. He has paid the price for us and he's redeemed us completely from the murderer. 
So this, this title is the title of Jesus Christ. So here the Lord's telling them that the Redeemer's coming. And where did he say he was coming out of? Out of Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. So we see it's, it's the promise of Christ. You know, he, he, he has the title and the duty to take care of us. Now it says the King James Version has its capital and it says rightly so because of what he does. In Isaiah 59, 20, it could be reworded uh, what, uh, as one commentator said, he said that the, I will send my Messiah, the Redeemer for all humanity, Jesus of Nazareth. So you could put Jesus' name there. So who does he come to? Who does it says that he comes to here? Now that's where he comes from. Come to, come to, he, by the, so come to Zion and he shall, but who's he coming for? I guess that's what I should have said. That's what I should have said. I'm sorry. The ones who turn from transgressions. Exactly. So you think about when you get saved, what did you do? You turn from transgressions. You said, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. and I, there's, I need you. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father, but through who? Through him. So it's that promise. And so we see that there's a, there's a stipulation. Now there's a lot of people in the world who believe that, you know, Christ came and they believe that he died on the cross and he rose again. But you know, there's so many people who now are trying to say this. They say that, that everybody will be saved. I mean, how many of y'all believe that? If that's true, then why did he even have to come? Yeah. Why we Yeah, we we didn't need them if, if that was the truth. We didn't need to study. We would need to even learn about them. God just don't you know, look at you. Hey, I think of all of you. But it says here, He says, "I'm coming for those who, you know, that for the those who say, yeah, hey, I, I, I've renounced my sin. I'm I'm I've turned away from it." I like what one guy said. He says, the, the goal, which are the Redeemer, only work for those who ask for his service. A kinsman Redeemer would not go and just say, well, this poor person I'm kin to, I'm going to help them out. That person had to come and ask. So it was, it was only done for those who would ask for it. Now, he closes, he says this. He says, my spirit that is upon thee, my words which I have put in my mouth, shall not depart out of whose mouth? Thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord from henceforth forever from henceforth and forever. So here God's he's making a covenant with his his people and he's telling them when you turn from your sins and it's same with us, he says it's an abiding spirit. It's an enduring word. God says he, he will accomplish his purpose in his people and it will continue on until he comes back. It's a promise to us. You know, so, you know, uh, you got loved ones you're still praying for? Don't quit praying for them. Keep praying because God's made a promise that he can still do it. Well, it's not like he's saying, okay, uh, Bob, because you got saved, everybody that's kidding you will get saved. He said, no, they're going to have that opportunity because the Spirit's there. I'm not going to quit working, but he's not going to force them. They've got to choose that. But we cling to that promise because sometimes that's all we got, isn't it? Is a promise God said, hey, you know, I'll save you and your whole house. Now, the opportunity is there for them. He's not going to force himself on them. They've got to choose. So you have this, this wonderful promise of the Redeemer. And, and now we're going to get into chapter 60. And it, a good title for it is The Glorious Light of God's Kingdom. I want to share with you, Adam Clark wrote this in his commentary. He said, 
about chapter 60. He said, the glorious prospect displayed in this chapter seems to have elevated the prophet even above his usual majesty. The subject is very flourishing, condition of the church of of Jesus Christ at the period of the gospel dispensation when both Jews and Gentiles shall become one under the shepherd. The imagery employed is the most consolatory, most magnificent description. I'll just put it that way. This blessed state of the world shall follow a time of gross darkness, which we'll see in verses 1 and 2. The universal diffusion of the vital godliness, the beautiful set forth by the great variety of images in verses 3 through 14. The everlasting duration and spotless purity of this kingdom of Christ in verses 15 through 21. An appointed in the council of Jehovah for the commencement of this happy period when this time arrives, this particular of the prophecy shall have a speedy accomplishment in verse 22. So here you, you, you see the Lord coming. You see the time of darkness. You see his return and his, his kingdom. So it's a wonderful, beautiful chapter. And it starts off, listen how it starts off. Now, remember, he's just talked about how he's there to forgive. He's there to, 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 to buy them back. He says, arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and the gross darkness of the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. So we, we see that God's light is coming up and it is, glow, is glowing. So after a, a darkness, he said to arise. And, and so you, you think about this uh, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 46, he says, I am coming to come a light into the world that whosoever believeth me should not abide in darkness. So we, we see that you got to first receive that light. But then he also tells us in Matthew, he says, what about your light? He says, let your light shine before men. And so this whole thing, he says, your, your light has come. So your salvation's there. So what do you do once you get saved? Do you go hide? And he says, no, let your arise and let your lights, your, your lights come. So it, it's there. It, it's there to show people what God can do. And the beauty of things, what he has to do. You know, what do you do when it's dark? You go to bed. There you go. You go to bed. You lie down in darkness and you do what when the light, when the sun comes up? Well, for some of us, we get up complaining that we had to get up. Yeah. But, but you think, and so when he says, arise, shine, for thy light is come. So it's time to get up. He's telling his children right here, it's time to get up. Now, he, he goes through and he, he talks about, he says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, the, in gross darkness, the people. So he, he's telling them, he says, well, let me tell you, it looks bad. It looks really bad. There's darkness everywhere. Not just, not just a, a normal darkness, but a gross darkness, a horrible darkness, a sickening darkness. So in the times of the sickening darkness, what's God's people supposed to do? Shine. Shine. You know, throughout history, that's been one thing that God's people has done is, you know, uh, the church has done is they shine when things were the worst. During the Black Plague, when everybody was fleeing, it said the Christians stood up and went into it. They went to help. They were there to lift people up. Here today in the time that we live in, we're here to lift people up, to tell them about the gospel. We shine so that others might see the truth. And so that's what he's telling them to do. And, and so he, he's telling them, he says, the Gentiles shall come to your light. So when the Lord lift his light up, Gentile nations shall see it. And so it, it, 
It's amazing that in Isaiah, how many times he keeps going and telling them that the Gentiles are coming. But what was the biggest argument when the church first formed? What did Paul have to deal with almost every place he went? The arguments, and they didn't want the Gentiles. Oh, you can't, you know, like they would tell, one of the biggest things they would tell them, you, you've got to become Jewish before you can become Christian. You've got to adapt everything in our law before you can. Yeah, it was kind of what I preached about Sunday. One of the things which I was supposed to read, which I didn't, somebody reminded me of, but. I was going to read about where Peter, he, I did actually read it, where Peter withdrew himself when the other Jews showed up. I don't know, I, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't be with them. And God, you remember, you remember what Peter, when, when, when God got Peter's attention that the Gentiles were coming, remember the dream he had. He's up on the roof and, and this, this, this sheet comes down with all these unclean animals and God looks, tells Peter, arise, kill, and eat. Oh, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And what God tell him? Exactly. I said, if I made it, it's clean. Eat it. I'm glad he did because he ate bacon. Probably the best thing that ever happened in his life. He probably said, man, we've been missing out. And, and so he's, he constantly telling the, 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 the Israelites, he's telling, hey, the, the Gentiles are coming. Get ready. He says this. He says, even the kings will be attracted to the brightness of Israel's shining. Yeah, that's talking about, and you think that won't be fulfilled until the millennial kingdom comes. And when Israel's lifted up among all the nations, because even though they're, they're more today than they ever have been, people still are coming against them. How many of y'all saw the news today, or it was yesterday, where it was talking about uh, uh, Black Life Matters, that they're supporting Hamas? Think about that. They said, from, from the oppression of Israel. I'm like, wow, you, you people get, you need to get in the word, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they come and say, hey, we're going to put this rocket right here in your yard, fine, I'm leaving. You know, but now they're, they're like, they, here, let me help you. So, I mean, and, and so we, we see that this hadn't really come to pass, but it will one day. Verse 4. He says this. He says, lift up thine eyes about and see. All they shall gather themselves together and they come to thee. The sun shall come from afar and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then shalt thou see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear, and be enlarged because of the abundance of the sea shall be covered, converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come upon thee. So he, he's telling them here, he said, you know, basically all your children who's been scattered afar are going to come back. And I've told you before, we see this happening now. Even with all the bombings, even with all the things that are happening, God's chosen people are still returning, but they're missing something in their return. Which the tribulation is designed to get their attention for. They're missing God. They're coming back. They're still his people they're still chosen. He's still protecting them, but they're forgetting the whole thing that he's told them about. It's amazing. They'll take scripture and they'll quote it, they'll read it, but they're not getting the part that you're supposed to worship the God who's it about. You're his people. 
And it will not be until the end of the tribulation period. Now, we know if, you, if, you, if you've studied Revelation, we've studied it, you think about it. It tells us that the Antichrist comes, they believe everything he says, hook, line, and sinker. So does most of the world. And then here comes 144,000 super evangelists and wins millions of them to the Lord. Now they're going to suffer and they're going to suffer tremendously. And I think it's because even though they're his people, they still have not accepted them. But the, the millennial reign at the end of the tribulation period, when Christ comes back, sets up his kingdom, because you think when he comes and calls the church home, where do we meet him? In the, sky. In the sky. At the end of the tribulation period, where does he go? New Jerusalem. He steps foot, finally, back on the earth. We come back with him. And so... Then he sets up his kingdom. This promise that he's making here to the children of Israel. It's a, that's the whole reason behind so much of what's going on. Is a promise he said that you're, you're, they're coming back. And thou shalt see and flow together. Thy heart shall fear and be enlarged because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The force of the Gentile shall come upon thee. So there's going to be war, but be ready. Now we're going to stop here at verse 6. And we'll start back that next week. So. I'll make myself a note right here. Because uh, I will tell you, let me, let me back up one thing right quick. In verse 5, before I go any further, because I wanted to cover this, it says, The forces of the Gentiles shall come upon thee. What do y'all think that means? The forces of the Gentiles shall come upon thee. I thought when I first read it, okay, the, the Gentiles are going to come and with all their military coming after them. But the word force there actually translates to the wealth. So it's going to be kind of like when the Lord comes back and these people turn back to the Lord. It's going to be like the Israelites when they were coming up out of captivity and when they were leaving Egypt. What did Egypt do to them? Exactly. So you think about this. All these nations that are surrounding Israel and are against them today, the Bible's basically making a promise here that one day they're going to come, they're going to bring you all these riches because of why? Because they see the light that you have finally gotten. You just think as small as Israel is, what other country that small? And all these other countries have tried wiping it out, and they screw it. Exactly. They can't because they're his. If America don't think about it and get stupid, which we already are. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why we have stayed as strong as we are is because America for the longest has backed Israel. 